Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. You know, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm just delighted to be worshiping with you. Welcome back. Um, I guess I was gone, wasn't I? Uh, thank you, Braden, for uh, speaking last week and bringing the word. I really appreciate you, brother. And I'm thankful for what you, you, you stand for and what you, you mean for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Um, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to get away. Um, I went on a little walk to Emmaus last week. And um, what, a, what a blessing it was to spend time with, with other men um, and uh, learning about God and, and just spending some time. Um, Joshua, my son, was able to go with me. And uh, we had a great opportunity there. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I want to continue this morning, if we might, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to be talking about being filled with love. And, um, you know, we're filled with a lot of things, but we need to be filled with love. And uh, especially as believers, you know, there's a song by Rascal Flatts. It's called Bless the Broken Road. And um, this song says, I set out on a narrow way many years ago, hoping I would find true love along the broken road. But I got lost a time or two, wiped my brow and kept pushing through. I couldn't see how every sign pointed straight to you. That every long lost dream led me to where you are. Others broke my heart. They were like northern stars pointing me on my way into your loving arms. This is, excuse me, this much I know is true. That God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. And what I want to encourage you this morning is this song makes the love object another person. I want to tell you today to make God your love object. We need God. We need a relationship with Him. And I want to encourage you this morning through this message about being filled with love because our priorities, our actions define our priorities. Your actions define your priorities. Think about that for a moment. I mean, typically, we don't drift in a good direction. Normally, when we're drifting, we're we're at the mercy of some other force. We generally don't drift in good directions, so we must discipline ourselves. And I want you to understand that God's grace is bigger and stronger than all of our bad choices. Than all of the bad choices that we make. His grace is bigger and stronger than any of that. And so if I ask you this morning, if you were to bury your heart in a place that you love, where would you bury it? Where would you bury it? See, we've been studying the six commands of our Savior in the fifth chapter of Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. And I'm sure that you'll agree that these commands that he has been calling us to as his followers, they are to an exceedingly great standard of righteousness. Something, I want to say, that is beyond us. 
It's a standard that's expressed in verse 20 of chapter 5. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So, righteousness that exceeds even the, the highest accomplishment of human ability in the most outwardly religious ways He says, unless it surpasses that, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. So now we come to this sixth command. The last of his explanations of the true intentions of God's commandments. And see, we've been building one upon the other, precept upon precept of God's word. We've been building. And in many ways, this one is the hardest of all to keep. It calls us to a standard of righteousness that exceeds all of our natural inclinations and human capabilities. Read with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and following. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these words of Christ that challenge us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us and guide us and examine us and lead us into your truth. Holy Spirit, that you would just examine our hearts and show us where we fall short. And Father, that you would give us the courage and the desire to repent so that we might indeed be perfect as our Father is perfect. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I thought and prayed through this passage, I was reminded of one of the most familiar Old Testament characters, if you will. Um, His name is Jonah. Jonah. Most of us know him best about the story that he got swallowed by a big fish. And you know, as, as he, uh, <laughs> probably one of the most, the, the first, you know, stories we heard about the Bible. And he's remembered as a prophet because he spent three days in the belly of, of a great fish. He spent three days in there. And, and we tend to think that that is the most important part of the story. Well, because that's what we know about. But that's not the most important part of that story. You see, God was trying to teach something to us when he gave us that story. His story was given to us by God to illustrate the very thing that our Savior was teaching his disciples in this passage of Scripture this morning. See, it's a story that's intended to teach us about God's love and his love for us. 
It's a a story that's intended to illustrate to us that God is a great lover of those who are his enemies. And that we are to follow his example towards those that are enemies toward us. See, that's what that story about Jonah is all about. That he loves those who are his enemies and he loves those who are his. I think that's fantastic. You know, the word love, probably one of the most used and least understood words in our English language. I mean, the word has been soiled by many immoral usages and by erotic and sentimental associations. I mean, love has been used to describe, you know, um, both a response to God, but also an affinity for pizza. We love God and we love pizza. Do we love them in the same way? Are they different things? Because really, the love that he is talking about here has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with sentimentality. It has everything to do with our actions and the choice of our actions. See, Jesus lifts the word love to its highest and best usage. The superior righteousness spoken of by Jesus involved the act of actually loving your enemies. Loving those who would do you harm. Those who would try to undermine you. Those who would try to bring you to destruction. In loving them. I mean, what did Jesus mean? When he said to love your enemies. I mean to Jesus. It doesn't mean something emotional. It doesn't mean something with sentimental associations. Jesus used the word to describe how followers. By the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Would seek the highest good of that person. Can you do that for someone who maligns you? Someone who speaks every manner of evil against you? Can you love them in that way that that you consider their highest good to be your duty? I mean, Paul said, if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, or if I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, He says, I'm bankrupt. I got nothing. I got nothing. So Christians, we truly love. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit that guides us in that. And I believe a closer look at Christian love and what that should be would prove helpful to us. Because sometimes we don't act like we should. Because... Our actions define our priorities. You can tell what someone's priorities are by their actions. By how they treat other people. By how they treat their spouse. By how they treat their enemies. You can tell what their priorities are. You see, I want you to notice in this passage the the expansiveness of. Of Christ's kind of love. 
I mean, the love described by the law had a a restrictiveness about it. It was restricted. The rabbis restricted the law. They said, you know, the law said you shall love your your neighbor as yourself. And so what they did is they altered the qualification of neighbor. (laughs) Well, a neighbor must mean another Jew. Just someone like me. I mean, Jesus taught the story of the Good Samaritan because the Samaritan wasn't a Jew. So who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? They altered that qualification, love your neighbor as yourself. But not only that, they took it a step further and they, entered, they added something to that. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what the rabbis were teaching. And that's why Jesus corrected them here. They were teaching not what was scriptural. They, they removed some of it. They added something to it. It's the perversion of the teaching of, of the law by religious leaders. They're taking away and they're adding something. They're not giving the truth, the gospel. They're not giving that. See, actually, they distorted it by omission and by addition. You see, it's a lot easier to love your neighbor than it is to love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves pretty well, don't we? We can love on ourselves pretty good. But can we love on our neighbor like we do ourselves? Then they added that phrase, hate your enemies. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, God's standard for His people was to treat even their enemies in a godly manner. I mean, sure, there are passages in the Old Testament that speak of the enemies of God in a severe terms and, and they promise judgment upon them. But our own personal enemies are another matter. And we're to love them. I mean, Jesus expanded love. Notice what he does here. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. The, older, the old order of the law de- demanded that the Jews love fellow Jews, but Jesus demanded that the new order be love without limits. I mean, it would be as if the rabbis were teaching Because you are an American, you love other Americans. The gospel's for all people. Everywhere. All time. The expansiveness of Christ's love includes those who seek to do us good, but also those who would do us harm. Love your enemies. See, many Christians... Not talking about us, I'm talking about them. Many Christians practice what might be called loving the lovely. That is, they love their friends, they love those who are like them, those who can do something for them. And people who love the lovely are not bad people. In fact, they probably make really good neighbors. But their conduct conduct is not uniquely Christian. 
at all. In fact, it is at heart just another form of what I want to call retaliation. When we retaliate for evil, that's pretty simple for us. We call that revenge. We understand when somebody retaliates because of something evil that happens to them, we call it revenge. When you retaliate for good, we call it payback. It's a payback. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You mow my yard, I'll mow yours when you're gone, or this or that. And we look at it as payback. The evil in revenge is obvious, but the evil in the payback is more subtle. You see, either way, retaliation is is paying back. It's in the world, it's paying back either injuries or favors. You buy my lunch, I'll buy your lunch next time. It's retaliation. It's only good retaliation. But you see, our minds will conform to the character of what we study. So study Christ. Study Christ. Become like Him. That's the expansiveness of Christ's kind of love. Let's look at the expression of His kind of love. See, Jesus elaborated now on on how to express love. And if we consider Luke's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus says Christian love is expressed in deeds, in words, and in prayers. In deeds, in words, and in prayers. And as Christians, we express Christ's love by our deeds. I mean, he says there in in chapter 6 of Luke, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. See, our enemy seeks to do us harm, but disciples of Jesus work to do good for the enemy. As a servant of the Lord, we show God's love, but we also show our love. So we're, we're showing both of those, God's love and our love. And we need to understand that it's in those deeds that we show Christ's love to other people. It's when we are maligned. It's when we're mistreated. It's when we don't get the benefit of the doubt. It's when we are shortchanged. It's when we are somehow abused or talking ill of. That we return that with love. Those deeds express Christ's love in us. See, apart from that, how are they going to know Christ's love? I, I submit to you that we express Christ's love by our deeds because you will influence those around you by how you live your life. Our world says, hey, if somebody takes advantage of you, you need to hit them hard. If something happens to you and somebody hits you, you need to hit them harder back. Christ says, love your enemies. Don't fight back. Pray for them. Show them my kind of love. Folks, that's huge. You know, John Randall said it this way. He said, your reputation beats you home. So lead with your deeds. Put your works out there. So that they might know 
my Father who is in heaven. See, our words also express Christ's love. He says there in verse 28, he says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. (laughs) Though some people may curse Christians, Christians must respond by calling down heaven's blessings upon them. I want to say this. Sometimes it's our words that express Christ's love to others. And sometimes it's our lack of words. Sometimes it's when we keep our mouth shut. When we want to open it. That express Christ's love to those around us. See, God created us with mouths that close. With hearts that love and ears that listen for a reason. And as believers in Jesus Christ, many times we need to practice the discipline of taking one for the team so that they might know Christ's love. Everything that comes across the screen does not need to be expressed. And there is far too much expression and I want to say that expression that's coming out of our mouths today is usually not in love. Our prayers can express Christ's love towards others as well. Our deeds, our words, and our prayers. You know, this weekend, we were at, Joshua and I were at uh, this walk to Emmaus, and uh, we were at Latham Springs Camp. And in the auditorium there, they were having a prayer time, and they told all of us to go to different places and kind of spread out and get away from everybody so we could be alone with God. And the, the lights were turned down. And um, so we, I never get to sit in the back row. So I'm going to be honest, I went right to the back row. I, I'm like, dibs, I'm going. And I went to the back row and I sat down back there. And um, there was people sitting all over the place and, and um, kind of spread out. And we, we, we were praying and they, they were spending some time with the Lord. And, and um, we'd been praying probably 10 or 15 minutes. And they had some spiritual people, counselors around if people wanted to talk with them. But um, after about 15 minutes, Joshua got up from where he was and he came back there and he sat down beside me. And I told him, I said, well, we can pray together. And I put my arm around my son and and we bowed in prayer and we were praying and and we were just fellowshipping and, and, and praying for each other. And it was just a sweet time. As a dad, it was a very touching time. And then I felt a hand on my shoulder and a hand on Joshua's shoulder. And there was a fellow there that was probably a little older than I am, probably in his 60s. And, and he was the bass player in the band that was playing that weekend. And um, he came up and he, he put his arms on us and he said, he just leaned in and he said, I would give anything to have a father that would pray for me like this. And I turned and looked at him. His name was Art, Art Brooks. I got up from my seat and I moved over one seat and I said, have a seat. He he said, no, 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 you guys are, I said, have a seat. And so he sat down next to us and I put my arm around him. And Joshua put his arm around him and we prayed for him. And we prayed that God's grace would be manifested in his life, that he would feel the love of his heavenly Father. In there, in that moment. We could barely walk when he got up. 
he was kind of walking down the aisle, and I seen when he got down to the front where his instrument was and stuff, he, he was wiping his eyes and that kind of thing. And I, I told Joshua, I said, we need to get up and leave so he doesn't have to feel like we're watching him as he walks out. So we left, and we headed back to our dorm. The next morning, Art came up to me at breakfast, and he gives me a fist bump. So I bump his fist and I say, good morning, Art, how are you? And he said, I'm doing good. He said, you made me cry last night. <laughs> I wrapped my arm around his waist and I pulled him in and I said, Art, I love you and God loves you. Sometimes our prayers express Christ's love. That's what I'm saying. We need to be doing that. With those around us, those that we work with, those who are, who are coming in from the world who need to hear from their Heavenly Father that, that He loves them, that, that He desires them. And Jesus is telling us here, even further, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are against you. And you see, prayer is a means of God's grace in our lives. I mean, we talk with God, not to God. We talk with God. And sometimes we view prayer as a monologue. Well, God, I want you to give me, give me, give me, and I want it to be cheap, cheap, cheap. And that's the way we pray. But it's supposed to be communion with our Heavenly Father. We're supposed to be communing with Him and talking with Him and hearing from Him and, and speaking to Him and telling Him how much we love Him because we know that He loves us. He's proven that. In what his son did on the cross for us. You see, talking with God. To pray in the name of Jesus means praying in the heart and the mind and the will of Christ our Savior. We say in the name of Jesus. See, praying for someone without loving him or her is impossible. <laughs> Make sure... That your ministry to others flows from your prayer for others. It's almost impossible to do ministry for someone if you're not praying for them. <laughs> See, your attitude towards others will open or close those channels of grace. I mean, we've talked about the, the expansiveness, the expression of Christ's love, and there's one more area, the extraordinariness, that's a big word, of Christ's love, His kind of love. And I want you to know nothing compares to that kind of love. We've already noticed the uniqueness of its expression, and I just want to look at this, how, how Christ's love is so extraordinary. It's so amazing. And Christ's love is unique because it comes as a family trait. <laughs> I love this. In verse 45, Jesus says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> You're a beloved child of God. And he offers you this eternal relationship that is lived entirely in that love. See, you come by it honestly. The fact that you can love like Christ is because God is your Father. He is our Father and that helps us to love others and, 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 and to be in His love. 
John 1.12 says this, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be called the sons of God, the children of God, even those who believe on his name. I love that. I am a child of God. Second, he says Christ's love is unique because it's indiscriminate. Picture a beautiful rose. Picture this, the most beautiful rose that you've ever seen. Can a rose choose who it will share its breathtaking beauty with? Can it withhold its captivating fragrance from bad people and share liberally with good people? It's indiscriminate. A rose shares its beauty and its fragrance with everyone. Just like God shares his love with everyone. The sun shines, the rain falls on saints and sinners alike. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. Oh, we like to stand in judgment. We like to be the one to roll out the the judgment seat and and decide who's good and who's not. Who's done, done well and who hasn't. But you see, authentic love does not discriminate like the beauty and the fragrance of the rose, like the sun and like the rain. Love is. God's love is never in response to the performance, good or bad. God is the source of love itself. It's Him. He is the one. The, way re- the reason we know what love is is because He loved us first. Suggesting that God stopped loving perfectly is like asking the rose to stop blooming or to withhold its fragrant, fragrance. Because love is not God's response to us, but rather the very nature and character of God Himself. It's who he is. And Christ is saying we must love others in that same way. See, his love for us is always constant and indiscriminate. I would like to compare it to the the magnitude and the velocity of Niagara Falls. When you've seen something like that, You feel the presence of God in that. You feel the wonder of God. You feel his love in that. So powerful, so moving, so wonderful. See, as a Christian, you are where God stores his divine love. More than anything else, your love for God and your love for other believers marks you as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. In addition to possessing God's love, you have the privilege and the responsibility of expressing it to others on his behalf. And listen to me, that is a sacred trust. He is trusting us to love others with his love. See, our love determines the extent of our discipleship. Maybe we don't follow Christ like we should because we don't love him like we should. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, True humility is not 
thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I'm almost done. Christ's love is unique because it goes further. What makes Christians unusual is the more extraordinariness of our love. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. If Christ is going to be visibly seen in our world, it's going to be through us. We must bear witness to Christ, not only with our mouth and what we say and what we do, but also through our, our, our deeds with others, His renewed zeal in our lives, not by the quantity of the words that we speak, but by the quality of the integrity and faithfulness in our life, in our walk. Oh, we're all about the words. We need to be all about the walk. See, our job, your job and my job, is to love them so that they will come to the point of asking why. Why? Why are you so kind to me? Why are you so good to me? Why do you love me so much? And then we can share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. See, we respond to others with love because we imitate God. In that, we are like God. It's how God is. And Jesus argues it's how God's children should be. What an assignment. Uh, Ridge, I want you to imitate God. I mean, that's what he's calling us to. That's what Christ is saying. So that they will know that their, their heavenly Father loves them be, be, because of the love that you give them. And I, I think that's amazing because, yeah, we, we could say, well, I can't really live up to that. Not all by myself. And you know what? To some degree, you're right. In a sense, that is true. You cannot do it on your own power. But when God enters into your life, the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And all of a sudden you have a power that is beyond you to be able to do what God is calling us to do. Which is to love others. To love our enemies. To be His hands and feet. He wants His enemies to see His Son in the loving and the good and the generous lives of His sons and daughters. And just for the record, what's at stake is not your rights. It's their eternal destiny. That's what's at stake. See, it was the love of Christ that was extended to us when we were still his enemies that brought us into the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful truth. But now that we're in... We're not to forget how we got in through the love of God. Christ loving us so much that he gave his life for us. See, God's love is a perfect love. And his children are in the process of fulfilling his kind of love. In Christ, we are reconciled. So we can love our neighbor and our enemy 
in Christ, we recognize who we are. But we also recognize whose we are. See, as with all relationships, as with all relationships, we get out of our relationship with God what we put into it. And for most of us, we just want $3 of redemption, please. We want it to be convenient for us because we've made it all about us. But it's not about us. It's about those that don't know Him yet. Seeing them, loving them into the kingdom up close to His heart. Folks, that's what we need to be about. See, at some point, we have to say yes to God. At some point, you have to say yes to God. In order for you to become His child, you have to say yes to God. I mean, that's, that's what's crazy about free will. We have the choice to say yes to God. I accept the offer of your son for my sin. Or we have the free will to say, I refuse the offer of your son for my sin. In which we will pay the price for that. See, in order to accept the invitation of God into his family, it's necessary for us to say yes to Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. That's all of us. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him. Will not perish. But will have everlasting life. I can't make it any plainer. We need to be filled with love. Filled with Christ. Let's pray. Loving Father, you have been so good to us. Father, the love that you give us compels us to share the love of Christ with others. Father, I ask that you would forgive us where we've failed you. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring repentance upon the body of Christ, the church, the bride. Father, that you would show us where we've got off the path, where we've made it about us, where we've not been faithful. God, you are so faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us the inconsistencies in our walk. That your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would shine light into the corners of our hearts. Father, show us where we've given up ground to the enemy, the devil. Show us where we have not trusted you. Show us where we've been unfaithful. 
show us where we have deviated, not been true. Father, I pray for brokenness. I pray that you would bring the blessings of brokenness upon each of us. I ask, Father, that the love of Christ would be manifested in our heart. That as we see Him fresh and new, crucified, on Calvary, bleeding from the crown of thorns, pushed down on His brow, Father, from the nails driven into His hands, from the spear in His side, Father, that as we realize that He paid the price for us, that our love for Him would be increased. Father, that Your Holy Spirit would show us that. And God, there would be nothing standing between us and Him, and therefore You. God, I pray that You would magnify Christ in each of our hearts. Father, that we would commit ourselves anew and afresh to You and to Your kingdom work that You desire to accomplish through each one of us. Father, we love You. We praise You. We ask God that You would let Jesus be enough for us. And it's in His mighty name that we pray. Amen.